to the Mito podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Megan. And our guest today is... Hi, I'm Abby Gornstein. I'm a speech-language pathologist. And we know Abby because she is uh, one of Troy, who's Megan's son, um, her, his uh, speech pathologist, correct? Yes. <laughs> yep. I have had the pleasure of working with Troy and Megan um, this school year. So it's been fantastic to get to know both of them. Yes. And he absolutely loves her. <laughs> I will just say that. <laughs> we have a people page on our AAC device and it's Miss Abby, Miss Abby, Miss Abby, Miss Abby. And it's funny because when we're paused on Mr. Dave's class, or I'm, not, I'm sorry, not paused, but muted. All he's mm-hmm. doing is pushing, pushing that button and pointing to you. <laughs> so- oh, I love that. I love Troy. Thank you. <laughs> Which is actually, I want to point out too, that is awesome because it's not very often that our kids enjoy therapy, especially, and it's nothing against any therapist or any teacher or anything. They just don't want to work. They want to play. And yeah. Kids, you know, and so it's rare, it's rare when you get to have a kid that really enjoys their therapist. <laughs> Uh, well, awesome. Um, we have a couple of questions. Um, okay. And the first one is what inspired you to get into speech therapy? Wow. Well, um, the short answer would be my mother. Um, I mean, ultimately it was her like continually bringing it up for years and years and just not dropping it. Um, my mom was an early intervention support coordinator or case manager for the Department of Developmental Disabilities in Tucson, Arizona. That's where I grew up. Um, And so her job as the case manager, they call them support coordinators. She was responsible for coordinating services for families. Um, She was also the autism specialist for her position. Um, So she would also participate in the therapies in home, the occupational therapy, the speech therapy, physical therapy. And so she got really familiar and really understood what each of them did. And I would go a few times with her on her home visits um, as a kid. And I just always really liked going. Um, And so I think like that was a huge influence on just like awareness of um, people, kids um, being born with developmental disabilities and um, the challenges and the joys of what families experience um, in having a child with developmental disabilities. Um, but I always worked with kids. Um, in high school, I started working with kids as a camp counselor. Um, I had an after-school daycare job, which was the worst daycare job, the worst. <laughs> um, but at the summer camp where I worked, they started actively promoting it as a camp where students with special needs would be accepted and included and highly supported. And so I was uh, a one-on-one aide for a camp counselor and I was just really good at it. Um, And I was kind of just like ushered into it because of my mom and she knew the person running it and she knew some of the campers and their parents because she had worked with them in the past. Um, And it was a great time, it was a great summer. Um, The kid that I worked with ran off at every chance he could. Oh no. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but I was always faster. (laughs) <laughs> part of being you know really young um 
so I also worked um, like in college. I went to Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff and I worked in some uh, group home setting with adults with developmental disabilities. Um, one summer I went back home to Tucson um, and you know stayed with my parents and worked. Um, and I worked at a bilingual AAC camp and AAC um, stands for Augmentative and Alternative Communication. And all the kids at the camp uh, were bilingual and they all had um, communication devices. And so, um, and this was a connection through my mom. She knew the speech pathologist that ran it and organized it. It was incredible. I had the best time. I learned so much. Um, I didn't know that communication devices even came with like pre-programmed jokes that were actually <laughs> funny. Um, but I still wasn't ready to go and change my major. Um, that would mean that my mom was right. Like, why would I, you know, want to do that? But uh, <laughs> what's that? I said, yes, why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I was studying electronic media broadcasting. I was going to do radio. Um, and I was doing radio in college and um, was pretty involved in like a local radio station and my student radio station. But once I graduated, I had a first, my first interview, I realized this isn't what I want to do. I'm not going to make any kind of impact, I don't think, you know, or it was going to be a lot of work. Um, and I wasn't going to, you know, get that daily feeling of like making an impact and making a change that I had had so much experience with and, you know, working with kids and working with kids with special needs. Um, so I got a job as a paraprofessional in an elementary school. Um, and at that same time, I was doing uh, respite in home and habilitation services. Um, and at that time, I started working with a lot of SLPs a lot closely, closer, and I got to see a little bit more of what they do and what they do in the home. And I made some really great connections with those SLPs and with the families. Um, I still talk to those families. And I really learned a lot um, about life and family and the struggles and growth and love of families, but particularly that have students with developmental disabilities. Um, and the siblings in those families were just some of the most incredible and unique kids I'd ever met and the parents and it was just like really inspiring and after some time um, of course my mom never stopped bringing it up become a speech pathologist you'll always have a job you can support <laughs> yourself and uh, after four years later of just having different jobs working with kids um, I was a substitute teacher I did a phone-based sales job for a while, went back to a daycare situation. I don't know why, seriously, <laughs> the worst. And then uh, it was time, it was time to take the GRE, which was the scariest part, and become the SLP that my mom always wanted me to be <laughs> and told me to become, so. Yes, thank you, Gail, <laughs> my that's my mom. You know, the mother always knows best. <laughs> it, yep. And uh, more and more, I'm realizing that. And, uh, you know, I guess I just have to accept it. <laughs> well, what steps would you suggest parents take when they discover their child has a difficulty communicating or, or otherwise? Well, I think, like, with any challenge that life brings, um, try not to feel overwhelmed and be open-minded, have grace and patience with yourself and your child and your family. I know it's a shock 
and it's most likely disappointing. Um, so use your support system. Um, it can be hard to talk to friends and family about it and it can feel really isolating. I've seen this with a friend that I grew up with um, whose child was born with autism and had a lot of language and speech delays. And um, I tried to be there and it was still, you know, she just, she wasn't ready. Um, so, you know, just taking the time that you need. Um, I think it's really helpful. And this is something that ended up really working for her seeking out a community that shares your experience and even has more experience than you, like looking on social media, um, <clears throat> joining groups of parents um, that, you know, have kids that have, you know, similar disability or just, you know, overall speech and language difficulties and delays. Um, follow professionals, speech pathologists, special educators on different like social media channels, YouTube, tons and tons out there. Um, and I would just say, talk with people about it, ask questions from other parents and professionals, like even search Pinterest pages, do your best to get educated and get some guidance. And like, you know, definitely remember that patient thing for yourself. Um, I think it's, you know, important to note that communication is going to be different than what you're used to um, or what's seen as, you know, typical or normal. Um, and I know it can seem really hard and overwhelming. And so, you know, seek that support. There's nothing wrong with asking for help and admitting that we can't do it all alone. Um, so again, talking to professionals, talk to therapists, other parents who have kids with communication difficulties and complex communication needs. And, you know, that's what we're here for. Um, I think it, it feels so overwhelming because communication and language are so complex and even more complex when you have things getting in the way of you effectively communicating with everyone around you all the time. Sometimes like I wish I wasn't, I didn't become an SLP and I became like an OT or PT because everything just seems like it's just nicely wrapped up in this box with a pretty bow and like communication and language. Or, you know, I feel like I have like tons of piles of boxes that are, you know, rip, wrapped ripping paper, wrapped, yeah ripped wrapping paper and, you know, things falling out of it. Um, so I know that, you know, it's really, it can be overwhelming. So I would just suggest go slow, learn one thing at a time. Um, you're definitely gonna be needing to make some modifications to the way that you communicate as well. Um, you're gonna have to learn your child's system and use their system. Um, like one way to think about it is like if your child was born with a hearing impairment or was deaf, I would think you would learn sign language, right? Um, so same idea. If your kid is going to um, communicate using communication devices or alternative modes with, you know, picture symbols or pictures, you're going to have to do that and learn as well and, and model how that goes. But I think just slowly making some changes to your life um, and the ways that you communicate with your child and help teach your child to communicate and use language for different reasons and ways. And that's not something that can be done alone. You know, that's what we're here for. Um, I would say one, like do not, and this is just for parents in general to their kids, like don't compare your kids to other kids. Development for everyone is different. 
and a diagnosis doesn't always dictate abilities um, or some, how some, like how someone can learn to communicate. You know, every kid's different and we have to work with what abilities and challenge each child has. Um, I think it's really hard for parents to, I think for any parent, um, you, you have your first child and you have this image inside your head of, of what that is going to look like. And when you get a diagnosis, it's, it's basically telling you, no, it's not mm -hmm. what your life is going to look like. And I know it can be very, very hard for people to let go of that and to, to accept that their, their life is going to be different. But I think it's also important to, to not think of it as not being normal or not fitting inside mm -hmm. that box. It's more about you're unique. And instead of looking at it in a way that is scary or this giant hurdle, you, you just have to remember that every single person is different. And it doesn't matter if you have a diagnosis or not. Like you said, every child is completely different, regardless of, of what a doctor has told you. And um, I know like for, for Angie, when we got her diagnosis, there were parts of it where getting the diagnosis was super important just to be able to get the therapy that we needed. It didn't mm -hmm. mean that she had a disability. It didn't mean that she had to be a certain way or act a certain way. It just meant we needed that piece of paper that said, okay, we're going to say that she has a brain disorder so that we can move into that category to get better therapy. Right. Um, and I, and I think people get scared of that. And I totally completely understand mm -hmm. that But at the same time, it's the one thing that's going to help you. It's the one thing that is going to push you into that next level to be able to make all of these amazing discoveries that you can find in therapy. And communication is one of those things that when you, when we're talking about it, obviously that's a form of communication, but you have to look beyond that and look at like emotions or music or um, reactions like there's so many different levels of what communication is it doesn't mm -hmm. have us having a conversation or a language or anything like that and and that was something that I felt uh, I I, I kind of knew already but I really got to experience it and feel it with Angie because she did have a different way of communicating and I oftentimes was the only one that knew what that was and I'm the only one that could help her communicate. Yeah. I was the, the translator in between it. <laughs> yeah, and with same, you know, with Troy, and one of the things that you touched on was, you know, getting together with other groups or other um, parents that have children with communication issues and things like that. I mean, we've talked about that so much on this podcast about, you know, just, finding other parents that have, you know, this, their children with the same disease, or it's the same thing with communication issues. You learn so much from what other parents have gone through or are going through. Um, and, you know, the therapists that they've used. And like you said, even following um, different therapists, I completely follow this one therapy group, uh, speech therapy group that's actually out of Fresno where I'm from. Um, and all the little different things that they do and, you know, just example, even toys that they have worked with, um, like I'll purchase and, you know, use, and it's just, it's really helpful to just get out there and really try to see what there is to help not only with therapy, but just like you said, with social media and different groups and parents that 
are going through the same things or similar things that you're going mm-hmm. through because it is, I mean, like you said with Angie, you knew a lot of the things that she was communicating because you're her mom and you were around her all the time. And, you know, with Troy, he's 12 and there's so many different things where he'll be in the front room doing something or watching something and he makes certain sounds. And I know exactly that he's telling me he's using a sign for me to change what's on TV and, you know, mm-hmm. he's grunting and I know he's calling for me and I'm always like, what's, what's my name? What's my name? You know, and then finally it'll be mama, 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 you know? And so yeah. it's, you know, there's so many different ways that kids that are nonverbal or just have speech difficulties in general are able to communicate. And it's, it's, it's really interesting. And like you mentioned with the AAC device and just, you know, taking it one day at a time and that parents need to learn it. I mean, that is probably one of the more difficult things that, um, we've used with Troy and yet it's so extremely helpful and it's so amazing to watch him learn it. But I had to figure out everything too. And I'm still, still, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. such a huge learning curve with those still learning how to use it myself. Um, But when you see what they're able to do and what they can start telling you when they're first learning, it's like, you know, it's just, oh my gosh, that's what you want. Well, that's great because I had no idea. (laughs) It's worth it, it makes it worth all of that work and it helps you stay motivated to continue doing the work. And, and you said but, you did um, training with us one time and you said, um, and I won't remember it because my memory stinks, but it was something about how um, if you only used like the communication device, like once or twice a week, that how long it would actually take them when you think about like a child, how long it takes them to start learning to speak a typical functioning child. And if you only use that communication device once or twice, it would take them like 90 years to learn what a two-year-old would learn. Yeah. That, yeah. That, yeah. I can't remember exactly what the quote was, but I was like, oh my gosh, like you just don't think about that. You don't think about it in those terms because you think, oh, you take your child to speech therapy or they get it, you know, a couple times a week. But if you're not using whatever it is, those communication pieces that help them, you know, outside of that, then it's going to be really hard on everybody to learn and understand. So I thought that was really, it was really moving. (laughs) Well, good. (laughs) I mean, parents are the best, the best teachers. Like, you know, like you said, like you mentioned, like you knew what Ashley was, or you're at, no. (laughs) Ashley was saying you knew what your daughter was communicating and you were the interpreter and like, you knew and you anticipated those little movements and things that she made or what certain sounds mean. And so, um, I mean, we really look to you to help guide us and, you know, working together to, you know, have a a communication program and how can we grow on it and, you know, by giving you the power too and you not feeling like you don't know anything. And well, I didn't go to school for this, so how am I supposed to know? but you do. <laughs> and that's, what's great about you is you're willing to help parents at every, every step of the way. So I appreciate that as a parent. Well, uh, yeah, I think like, you know, this year has just doing distance learning has really forced me and parents. I mean, we have the ability and we have to work together now. And that's been the best part about distance learning is making those connections with the parents and helping parents um, you know, and then, you know, doing in-home, you know, like 
we would like we would get to do if we were in person yes um but that's um been the best thing to come out of this really difficult challenge <laughs> so uh, when we talk about communication devices i know just for any parents that are listening so what are generally the devices that you use or that you're familiar with for children that have communication issues? Well, um, you know, if everything depends on the child and thinking about taking like the whole child in consideration, their abilities, challenges, or any disabilities, um, we have to take into also take into consideration like what is their stage of communication development? Um, and different modes of communication and devices should and will always change as the skills of the child change and develop. Um, so whatever kind of device or mode of communication we're gonna work on using, we have to you know, meet the child where they are, but always be striving for next level. Mm -hmm. So this is like an ongoing process. Um, but some examples would be like cause and effect devices, which could be like, um, using switches, um, switch activated toys um, to support the like, communication development and skill development for undering, understanding cause and effect and leading to um, turn taking and cause and effect in communication, um, voice output devices as well and using those. Um, these could even be something like a, a a button that's pressed that has, um, you know, one to three recorded messages, pre-recorded messages. Um, you could have one of those or two or three. Um, those could even activate, you know, a more, you know, mid-tech or high-tech communication device that has um, more vocabulary, um, choices, different pages, that sort of thing. Um, am I making sense? Uh -huh. I felt like I'm not making sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, Troy used to have um, one of the little buttons. I forgot what it was called. Um, but it was, yes, yes, exactly. And it was always recorded, hello, hello. So that was like yeah. his little greeting before he really <laughs> did a whole lot of anything. Those <laughs> yeah, are like that. Go ahead. you to put in his room. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. And those, you should talk a little bit about those too. Those are interesting. Um, keep talking. I actually just bought some. Let me go grab them. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. Yeah, but that helped Troy to, you know, understand the power of him communicating and that attention that he gets from doing that. And like that gave him a voice if he wasn't able to, you know, say hi verbally, you know, a, a traditional. Yeah, exactly. You know, that, um, forgot what I wanted to say. Um, oh, other devices. Um, I mean, even like, I would say, like, it doesn't have to be, there doesn't always have to be a communication device. I think, you know, it's a great tool, but like even um, like beginning early signs are a great way to support early communication. Um, of course, if someone has the ability to sign. Mm -hmm. um, and this doesn't, this doesn't even have to be like ASL traditional signs. Like, it can be dependent on the user and their ability or like something shared that the family has come up with. Mm -hmm. um, facial expressions are great modes of communication. Gestures, eye movements, lip movements. 
I mean, any movement or sounds, you know, and like encouraging sounds or any kind of word approximations um, are all great, you know, modes of communication. But I want to see what you have, um, Ashley. Oh, answer buzzers. Yes. Uh, Reportable. Those yeah. are um, a lot less expensive than like your traditional uh, adaptive device yeah from the I, catalog or something yeah because <laughs> I, I so I like creating um special rooms <laughs> um but I bought these for Troy's room because um I thought they would be really cool like you're saying just different ways of communication so like putting two by his bed so that in the morning he could push one to say good morning or at night push the, the other one to say good night or things like that um, I just thought that they were really cool. And for people who are listening on the podcast, unfortunately, you can't see it because <laughs> I just showed it on the camera for um, anyone who's watching on YouTube, but they're called recordable answer buzzers. And I just got them on Amazon. Um, and they're just four different buzzers. You can record what you want to say on them. And it's something that, that has a giant button on it so that um, for children who might have a hard time with being able to push a button with a finger or two fingers or three, this is a whole hand so that more surface has the ability to being pushed. I haven't or tried. A, or a foot. Yes, exactly. Or a Any, foot. an elbow, a head, anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I haven't tried them out yet. So I don't know how sensitive they are, but I know I've read reviews on them and in the reviews, people have taken them apart and made them extra sensitive. So for those children that are having a harder time that might not have the weight to be able to push down on the button, um, mm -hmm. there's a way to change them to make them a little bit more sensitive for that. I'm gonna have to buy a set, I think. I know, yeah. well, it's so amazing because uh, any shop that you go to or even online that has anything that's specific for disabilities is astronomically expensive. I mean, I, you know, I don't know if they assume that insurance pays for everything, which it absolutely doesn't, but something Does not. Like that, that you can find on Amazon, that's why I mentioned to bring it out. I'm like, that's such an amazing idea because those Big Macs <laughs> that you push are expensive. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, and those can be great to use. I mean, in anything like reading a book, you know, you could have record turn the page or you know maybe you're working on a keyword in the book that you're reading and you know the kid can say it every time the word comes up or sing a song part of a song I mean the possibilities are endless so that's fantastic yeah um so I, I know it's kind of a hard question because I know every child is is different but is there a way that you could give us an example of what you might work on in a therapy session or or maybe even give us an example of like when you're working with Troy and give it a specific mm -hmm. child yeah um I mean again everything always depends like on the age um cognitive developmental levels physical abilities are there any sensory deficits um the age um, but I could be, you know, working on something like, you know, cause effect to activating a toy, um, helping to understand a communication exchange or turn taking um, anything that I do, I'm going to try and find some kind of game, make it fun, 
right? Doing things like reading books, watching videos, doing fun sensory activities. Um, those are all really great motivators and just can be like the starting point and any skill can really be worked on by picking, you know, a book, a game. Um, just trying to find ways to communicate and build communication and language in like natural context. And with kids, like games and fun activities are, you know, great motivators. Um, but a lot of the time we'll be uh, working on receptive language activities like following directions or identifying things and pictures or real items like identifying colors, numbers, body parts, things like that. Um, or maybe we're working on expressive language, like asking for things, expressing our needs, um, using language to talk about whatever we're doing, giving directions. Um, let me see, let me think here. I took some notes because I really didn't want to forget anything because there's just so much, but I know of course I'm going to forget something, so. <laughs> um, so some of the, oh. I was gonna no. say like some of the things that um, I'm working on with Troy is helping him and Megan um, to use core words. Um, and core words are our most common high frequency words um, in the English language that normally consist of verbs um, and adjectives. So um, working on those and like his understanding of those words and what they mean and him being able to use those in different contexts. Um, you know, using one of those words or, and putting more of them together to make sentences, um, to do things, to talk about pictures, to play games, to answer questions, to ask questions. Um, so I think too also uh, what we do will depend on like where services are being provided or what's the purpose. Like in-home therapy is gonna look a lot different than therapy in a school where we're you know supporting academics um and then working with parents is a huge part of the therapy session as well um so helping parents learn what you're doing and why you're doing it and what the goal is and what the outcome is and doing some practice and that type of stuff um and you are really good yeah. Being. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're really good at finding games and are they called boom cards? Is that? Yes, boom yeah. cards. So I, a lot of the stuff that you do is highly motivational. I remember the knocking one. Oh my gosh, Troy was knocking oh, yeah. the table and it's like, who's behind the door? And, you know, treating thing. Yeah, yeah, there's so many different things that you do that are very motivational. And of course, that's absolutely going to motivate them to to use their device and to make sounds and you know whatever it is that they're however they try and communicate but you are very good at using a lot of those things especially too with Mr. Dave's class where there's you know such a different um, variety of skills and you know it's just so awesome to hear the students speaking and you know all the different things they're trying to do so you're you're very good at what you do. <laughs> oh thank you. Uh -huh. Um, I mean, it doesn't always go so great, though. <laughs> of course, but not everything you know. can. <laughs> <laughs> There's been meltdowns, you know, I'm like, I want nothing to do with what you're doing, even though it seems fun. So yeah, but I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I have one that's starting the meltdowns lately. So <laughs> I do know that. <laughs> um, do you ever work with, um, so 
let me back up a little bit. I was gonna, I'm going to ask you about um, like feeding therapy. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because when Angie was going to physical therapy, our physical therapist asked us if we were interested in feeding therapy. And I had no idea what that meant. I, in my head, I was thinking, so Angie was breastfed. So she, when she introduced a feeding therapy, I was like, no, <laughs> like she, she breastfeeds, like she doesn't need a feeding therapy. And I was, my thoughts on what that was were completely incorrect. And mm -hmm. we finally got to do that when we finally signed up to do feeding therapy, because it finally did get to a point where she couldn't eat. Um, and we signed up for it. I, my mind was open so much more. And I learned so much more about speech therapy because um, we really worked with Angie on different techniques for her mouth, which I think is really important to bring up. Yeah, certainly. Um, that is something I didn't talk about. Um, and, you know, working on um, oral motor skills um, could also be, if appropriate, a part of therapy. And yes, certainly speech pathologists will do um, eat, feeding and swallowing therapy. Um, and so, yeah, like thinking about all the motor coordination and all the tactile functions um, that are incorporated, that we use, you know, not just for speech, but feeding. And so because of that, SLPs do work with a lot. I think a lot of the time in conjunction with occupational therapists yeah. to support you, in. Yeah, it's the two um, together. And it was mm -hmm. fascinating to learn so much more about speech therapy because I, I didn't. I didn't understand it. I just, and I didn't understand everything that you're talking about in this podcast right now. Cause I just thought, okay, speech therapy. Is, right. It's like lists and R's and yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And it's, there's no, but it, more detail. <laughs> yeah. And when I started graduate school, I didn't know that that was something uh, feeding and swallowing that SLPs did either. Um, so I have personally never done any feeding or swallowing therapy um but I do I did learn about it and do have an understanding of it um you know if I ever did that's not something that we do in school um but I would you know feel a little bit better about working with someone on on those skills um, yeah I mean it makes sense too with what you do and having that background and understanding that and, and understanding how one child's uh, mouth or even like this, I know you don't, you don't do the, the feeding or swallow test, but it has a lot to do with how to get, uh, how to form a word, how to, how to make your face, your mouth, mm -hmm. all of that, all of the functions that are involved in that. And that, I mean, goes beyond feeding therapy. And I imagine to what you're doing, because you have to have that understanding of how is that child's brain telling its body and muscles and mouth to be able to form or even just emotion mm -hmm. it's the same same thing um and it goes right into sensory as well um how like what kind of spoon you can eat with like holding it and and how it enters your mouth and what your mouth is doing to be able to to swallow um and it's the same thing for speaking or sign language or or being able to use a AAC device, all of that. It's, it's so intricate and you don't realize how intricate it is until you have a child that has all these needs that 
you you don't know how to um, accommodate until you start going into these therapy lessons. And it's, it's actually kind of exciting. I get excited when I when I get to talk to therapists, you know, because it's, it's just fascinating to me. Well, I think especially since we just speak, you know, naturally, that we don't think about all the muscles and all the movements and how your tongue works in order to make those sounds. I think that was one of the things that, you know, I was first really fascinated by with Troy because there are a lot of sounds that he doesn't make and it has a lot to do with just the strength in his tongue or Mm -hmm. just how he moves his mouth and how he doesn't. And, you know, it's just really interesting to think about that because we, you know, when we talk, we just talk, we don't think about those things. And it really is very involved. Um, And if so, if your child has any sort of muscle weakness or anything like that, um, even that sucking reflex, like Troy can't drink out of a straw. And Mm -hmm. I know he's gotten stronger over time. So I think it's something that um, he will be able to do eventually. But a lot of that just has to do with the muscles and the movements in your mouth. And you just don't think about those things. You know, you don't. And oh, go ahead. No, totally off subject. You go ahead. (laughs) I just I just wanted to say and like thinking about how those early skills and those feeding skills tie into the ability to produce speech. And so those sounds that would require Troy to you know, make those shapes and the air pressure that's required and the coordination, you know, that knowing that he has difficulty drinking with a straw, he's going to have difficulty making those speech sounds. Exactly. And then there's also this, you know, cognitive awareness, like is the, does the person have the cognitive ability to even be able to be aware of what they're doing and how to make those sounds? Mm-hmm. So we could try to work on producing sounds all day, but we might not get anywhere if there's there's a hierarchy there and mm-hmm. certain things need to be there first before we can work on other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, there's so much. There is so much involved in this and I'm sure we could go on for hours and hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do this again. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you have any pointers for parents that are um, looking for speech services for their child? I do. Um, I think just getting on it, get on it, like Google, start Googling, make some calls. Um, If you do have insurance, maybe your insurance will pay for some services. reach out, contact pediatricians. Um, if you're, if you're even contact a school district um, or early start, a lot of colleges and universities have speech and hearing clinics. Um, talk to your child's teacher. If you, your, your kid is in school or in a preschool setting, daycare, or, you know, anything, wherever, whoever the professionals are and educators, um, you can even, you know, contact a school, the school speech pathologist. Um, I, I think that it's important to know, um, it's going to take some work to get things done and you're relying on a lot of other people and a lot of other systems. Um, so it's going to be a process. Um, but once, you know, once it gets started and once therapy starts, um, I'm sure you both can relate to this. I think parents are really unsure about their role in their child's speech and language therapy and interventions like to begin with 
And like a parent might think, well, I'm not an expert in language to laser disorders. I didn't go to school. How could I possibly do this like a speech pathologist can? Um, but you're the best speech therapist for your kid. Like you're their first and best teacher. You're a constant in their everyday life. Like we're there for 30 minutes to an hour a week. You spend more time with your child talking and interacting than you know a SLP can ever can. And you know your child. You know what makes them tick. And for a lot of kids, like seeing that speech pathologist once a week isn't it's not enough to develop those language skills. But if you work with your child's speech pathologist, you can come up with goals and activities that you feel comfortable and confident in doing at home in your everyday life that'll make a huge difference in your child's language and learning. So like helping set goals, like realistic goals. What are, you know, describing and being very honest and open and like, you know, no shame. Like, let's just be real and let's, you know, talk about what's realistic for you. Um, what are your daily activities like and routines? How can you incorporate, you know, any AAC or um, modeling language, anything like that? Um, trying to, you know, um, learn different strategies and with the guidance of your speech pathologist or other educators um, to build your child's communication skills. Um, there are some studies that have shown that parents actually have a greater impact on a child's language skills than a speech language pathologist. So, um, you know, I think that's, you know, a good takeaway point that, you know, even though we went to school and, you know, we specialize in this and we do have a lot of knowledge and tools, like you are still number one and are going to be the most effective. But, um, take it slow, <laughs> reach out, talk to people, all those things that, you know, we talked about. And just having that representation. <laughs> <laughs> they almost held out to the very end <laughs> right and like just don't give up like keep at it you're the best model for your kids um use this use siblings and other kids like in your circle like they are the best modeling like what's accept or what's expected you know or, or modeling like with their device I mean peers and young people are just the best help with that yeah Having, going back to what you said, having just that repetition, um, kids learn a lot by watching their parents, even though you don't, you don't realize it, they do. It's the little grains that they, they pick from you and, and continuing to do and repeat and all the things that in, in any therapy that you're doing is ex extremely important. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Is there anything that you wanted to add or anything that we maybe skipped over or something? I don't think so. I feel like, I mean, we've covered so much. Like, I feel like we did. it was a lot. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's much. it. I mean, this was great. Thank you for inviting me and having me. Well, thank you. Like I said, you are amazing at what you do. So I'm fortunate that we have you for Troy and the other kids out there too. So thank you for well, sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you. But I have to say you, you know, Megan, you're unique and apparent and everything that you do for Troy. And you both are just, you, you don't come around very often. 
um, I would say working with, with families like you guys. So it's a gift for me. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time just to sit and talk with us. Um, if you're listening, you are listening to the Mito podcast. We are on the mitopodcast.com as well as on YouTube. If you have any suggestions or if there's anything that you would like to talk about in the future or hear about, please send us an email and let us know. It's mitopodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. I mean, it, the, the possibilities are endless. <laughs> Aren't they though? <laughs> Um, but yeah, please, please reach out. Even if you have a comment about any of our, our past podcasts, we would love to hear from you. So thank you for, again, Abby, for joining us. We appreciate oh. your time. You guys are awesome. Thank you.